0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host... Travis McQueen.
1: And today, we got a Q&A. We got a lot of good questions today. This whole video on Spotify thing is new to us, so... Uh, throwing you off a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Start. I forgot you were starting yeah. to look at this camera. Yeah, that's the only thing I got to do. I just got to look at
0: the right camera. on yeah. the intro. Man, it's just as hard figuring it. out which
1: yeah. buttons are which. Yeah.
0: that's all you got. Doing your, too many jobs here. Yeah, you got a cockpit. I don't really do anything besides sit here. The, <laughs> just answer questions. Uh, oh. But yeah, we do. We do got some some good ones today. I'm excited about a few of them. Uh, some different questions that we're going to get into that I think are super applicable, so I'm excited for that. Real real quick, as always, guys, this podcast is fueled by our coaching, so if you are somebody who needs tailored training and nutrition and coaching and guidance and accountability to get you from point A to point B, point B being the exact results you want to see, head over to tailorcoachingmethodcom slash online-coaching or click the link in the description of this podcast. Uh, get a free call. We would love to chat with you and help you reach your goals, so uh, without any further ado, let's just jump right into these questions, man. All right,
1: cool. Let's do it. We got one coming from Anonymous. It says, I'm confused about the macros and calories that I have been eating. If the protein bar says 200 calories but has 10 grams of fiber and hence le- less net carbs, have I been eating more carbs and calories this whole time? I don't want to change my macros. I just want to make healthier food choices for cut." For gut health, energy, and performance, I didn't realize companies delete the calories from fiber, even though studies now show we do digest them. Yeah, so it's 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 hard to say because uh,
0: some it depends on the fibers. There is some fiber that is in a way undigestible, um, and the the reason it's undigestible is because it literally passes through the uh, intestines, the colon, everything, like your digestive tract without breaking down. But that's part of what fiber's job is, right? If you have a bunch of stuff right here and then fiber comes along and it's not breaking down, it just kind of helps push, right? As long as there's water, it'll help push things through uh, your ass, for lack of better terms. I mean, like pretty graphic, but you think of this and you're just pushing through, you know, but like that's literally what it does. Um, However, that doesn't mean that it, it doesn't contain calories because we can't really, I mean, you can do this, but people listening can't do this, but you have to get a, uh, calorie meter, but I think it's not pronounced like kilometer, but it's not kilometer, like a distance, but it's basically like a calorie bomb meter. And it's like this machine that basically you put food in and it's just like fucking lights it on fire and it burns this food, whatever it burns, gives you a, like basically a calorie ranking. So they burn the food to determine how many calories it is through burning. So on and so forth. And that's how we determine how many calories foods is. Um, You're not going to have access to this because you don't have a lab, and it's completely unnecessary to even worry about because you don't need that. The food label has it for you. However, uh, just because you don't digest all fiber doesn't mean that fiber doesn't raise the temperature of what's burning in that machine, which would give you a calorie amount. The problem is is that sometimes research is delayed because research takes time. Um, It's not a quick thing. long time. Very long time. So uh, food companies find marketing loopholes. So there was a marketing loophole, and they were like, well... Technically, right now we can say uh, that this that this item has blank net carbs because if it has twenty grams carbs, ten grams fiber, if we say that the the fiber is undigestible, technically those calories don't count, and there's nothing in the fucking food label rule book that says I can't do say that. Oh. So they say only ten net carbs, and they put less calories because the calories are based on digestible nutrients. Um, So they found a a loophole basically. So they can say it's less calories than it is. Um, However, like you mentioned, research does show you do digest some of them and it still raises the temperature in your body, which is what determines what has calories. So you should be tracking the calories from fiber, long story short. Um, So in your case, the thing with this is, is number one, this is why it's important to not just read food labels and know or just believe whatever, because even regular food labels that don't have net carbs and shit like that can be twenty to twenty five percent off, which is pretty crazy. I mean, if something says two hundred calories, it could be, what would that be anywhere between one hundred and fifty to two hundred fifty calories? Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty crazy. You know, that's a big margin of error. And if everything is that, and you stack four, five, six feedings throughout the day, or meals, or snacks, and all that stuff, and they're all a little bit off based on that, I mean, you could be a few hundred to 600 calories off, you know what I mean? All inaccurate, which is also one of the reasons why whole foods are better. And it's not because, you know, whole foods are superior because blueberries and chicken breasts are magical for fat loss. It's because there's no food label on that item. Therefore it's going to be way more accurate when you put in four ounces, there's no like 25% margin of error on the food label. It's just chicken. It's an apple, it's blueberry, you know? Um, Therefore, it's easier to consistently track because you know there's no margin of error. And if every single food label can be that far off, some companies are better about making it accurate than others. But if you eat the uh, a bunch of processed food, and let's say you're eating the same fucking Pop-Tart all the time, but they're always 25% off and every fl- flavor could potentially be 25% in the different direction or sometimes 20, sometimes 25, sometimes 15. You just have all these basically uh, error margins and fluctuations of calories that you you can't account for. Um, But that doesn't mean never eat processed foods. Um, It just means that you should primarily eat whole foods. Um, But what I would say is that what you were doing technically is wrong. Like you should be counting it, but I wouldn't like worry about going, you, you don't need to go back and do anything about it. Essentially what it is is like, look, if you were eating the same thing every single day and you were off, but you were eating it every single day. Now, you know, Just bring your calories up. Like, so if you were like, damn, I've been tracking wrong and I was actually eating 100 calories more than I was, than I realized, but you were doing that every single day. Well, instead of looking at it, like I've been eating 2000 calories, I've been, or uh, 2100 calories instead of 2000 calories, I've been fucking up. Just bump your calories up to 2100 now. Nothing changes totally because you're already doing that. You just weren't aware of it. It's not a bad thing, you know, especially if your goal is just health and stuff. Um, But that's the best way to be more accurate with it. You know, so
1: totally. So the next question is coming from Kathy. It says, I'm a 52-year-old female, been active in the weight room and in fitness for over 30 years. I'm not good at resting between sets, so like, so I like to superset. Currently supersetting push day with quad exercises and pull day with hams and glutes. I take a day between push and pull days just to do some lists. Usually take one full rest day per week. Do you think this is too much or should I be resting in between sets rather than supersetting?
0: It's a hard it's a hard one to answer because yes and no. Like there's re like there's there's definitely a justification to say like yes, you should be resting longer and not supersetting because you will get better results. But at the same time, if I'm like, yeah, you should stop supersetting and rest longer and now you can only accomplish 50 to 75% of your workouts, is the is that really more beneficial because yeah. you're doing way less, you know. Um but and there there's a smart way to superset. The the hard part with what you're doing is you're doing in in it's not an upper lower split, it's a full body split. I would probably suggest doing an upper lower split. I think that or you just have to superset some things, not other things. So to break this down in layers, number one, supersetting is just a way for people listening, if you don't know what superset is, it's taking two exercises and putting them together so you do one after the other so instead of me doing three sets of eight with a couple minutes rest in between of every set and then moving on to the next exercise i would go eight reps move right into the next exercise do eight reps on that then take two to three minutes and go back to the top so you do save a lot of time however if you are supersetting the right things it's great but if you're supersetting the wrong things it can limit performance so if i superset a so she said push for example which means she's probably doing chest, shoulders, triceps, quads, maybe calves, everything in your body that pushes rather than pulling. Hamstrings pull, glutes kind of pull, but they would be associated with that. Um, Lats, traps, everything, biceps, pulling, right? So because of that, if you were supersetting barbell back squats with bench press, I can tell you that your performance is probably going to be worse because those are two really big movements. Your first set of squats might be great, but your first set of bench press is going to suck because you just got done squatting. And then you go back to squatting after bench pressing and squatting. You're going to be more metabolically fatigued. It's going to be tough. So you could like in the only way to make sure that your performance didn't suffer when supersetting those would be to take enough rest in between the superset. But then it defeats the point of supersetting because you have to take more rest in between them. Um, and even then, it's kind of like it's a skill. So when you take your mind off of the squat pattern to focus on the bench press pattern and you're trying to go back and forth. It makes it more difficult. So you you kind of have two options. One, keep doing what you're doing if you don't care about progressing. You just want to maintain where you're at right now and continue working out. Which is totally fine. Like I don't want that to sound like a bad thing because there are times where people they're not going to the gym to hit new PRs or change their body or anything. They want to maintain the level of health that they already have and the strength and, and movement they already have. So if that's the case, you don't really need to worry about Spending more time to make progress because you don't need to make more progress for your goals. Um, now, if you are somebody who wants to make progress, the next thing to do would be to separate what matters and keep supersetting what doesn't matter as much. And the best way to understand that would be compound lifts definitely matter um, unless it's a push pull sequence. And that really only applies to upper body, and most time people don't even consider pulls compound. So in the case of like a bench press and a bent row, I consider those two compound movements. Most people do not consider a bent row a compound movement. And if you're doing full body push, you're not even doing pulls on that day anyway. Um, And I would also add that the injury risk of doing a deadlift and a pull is pretty high because you're going into extension twice. I just, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, And the fact that you're fatiguing yourself metabolically and physically in the same supporting muscles going back into a deadlift, like probably not good. So Stop step supersetting those like you would do, uh, for, did she say she's training four days a week or did she not say,
1: uh,
0: didn't say. Okay. So that's the other aspect of this. You could train, change the split, but let's say you're doing four days a week and you're doing like full body push, full body pull, full body push, full body pull. Maybe on day one, the push day, you do a heavy squat and the day the second push day of the week, you do a heavy bench. So you only have one heavy push compound per day. That would probably be the most ideal. And then on the pull days, you have one day where you do deadlifts and one day where you do like a a weighted chin up or a lat pull down or a bent row or something like that. Uh, More of a compound style pull movement. And you don't superset those. You just focus on progression, straight sets, just try to build strength in them. Then when you superset your accessory movements. So if you do a barbell squat and then your accessory for that, let's say is a Uh, a split squat or a lunge or a leg extension or whatever it may be you could superset that with a dumbbell floor press a dumbbell incline press anything like that and if you do isolation work on that day maybe that's a leg extension or a calf raise you can superset that with tricep extensions or lateral raises or whatever because the less uh demanding the exercise is the more applicable a superset is because you don't have to worry about like you're not going to be out of breath and metabolically fatigued from doing lateral raises or tricep extensions right it also doesn't take much brain power you just fucking bend your elbows whereas putting a heavy barbell on your back focusing on squatting you're bracing your core you're staying in an externally rotated position with your shoulders you got to go into hip flexion and knee flexion at the same time but at the right time and then knee extension and hip extension at the right time like there's a lot to it yeah so the more complex the movement, the less likely you should be supersetting it, right? Um, and then the other way to know if you should superset it is if it's an antagonist uh, superset, which would be a push and a pull, which is why I probably wouldn't recommend supersetting compound lifts at all or much of anything unless you're doing something like an upper-lower split. Because in that case, it's very likely that you would do a bench press and a T-bar row, for example, or a, um, uh, a overhead press and a pull-down. Like, those are great supersets. But you can't really do those with a full body because you're supersetting a leg and you have to stick with just isolation exercises and accessory movements. Um so you you can absolutely do like a lunge, superset it with a push and a and a pull, but now you're not in the push-pull category either. So it gets really complicated, but I think it this is where like training splits kind of they're they're meant as a way to help you organize your training. So if you want to superset. Being on a full body push-pull split is probably not the best split to do a lot of supersetting with. You should be on just a straight up full body. That way you could do like a lunge, which would be a squat variation, right? Like a split squat, superset with a dumbbell floor press, superset with an inverted row. So now I'm doing a leg dominant, then a push and a pull. All accessory exercises don't take too much brain power, not super complicated, low injury risk. Perfect, right? Um, but if I'm just doing push, I'm limited to pressing and squatting yeah. movements. Pulling, I'm limited to hip hinging and rowing movements. That's why I don't think it's as good. And then with antagonist movements, you basically have to do upper and upper or lower and lower. The problem there too is that the only lower body superset for antagonist muscle groups is really going to be like a leg extension, a leg curl. Everything else is just too taxing and injury. Because even even an accessory movement like we're doing Bulgarian split squats today for an accessory lift, I mean that's not an easy exercise. So if you told me that I'm going to superset my Bulgarian split squats, my heavy split squats with any kind of leg curl yeah, I'd, or hip thrust or anything, I'd be like, fuck that. Like I don't have it in me. Like, and I, what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to lower the weight on the split squat at least by the second round, if not right away. Cause mentally I'm like already thinking about how hard it's going to be. I'm going to be, get way better results if I just sit there and do three to four sets of the split squats. And then I just do three to four sets of the leg curl or the hip thrust or the RDR, whatever the, the combo would have been. Yeah. Um, whereas if I look at a dumbbell bench press, even if it is heavy and a one-arm row or a T-bar row or seat cable row or anything like that, I don't actually look at it and go, oh shit, my performance is going to suck because it helps me because it's a push-pull. It's opposites, yeah. right? And when we do that, we're pressing all the blood flow and tension is in our chest, tricep, shoulders. And then when we row, it all goes to our traps, lats, rhomboids, biceps. So you actually have this transfer of attention blood flow the cell swelling all the different things the tension in the muscle and actually kind of alleviates the other side so there's some research to show mainly with curls and tricep extensions leg curls leg extensions and then a bench press and a barbell bent row I think were the main ones they did and they see an improvement in in performance sometimes because it's an antagonist you're using opposite movement patterns and opposite muscle groups which actually can help the performance when you go back to the other side Um, you just can't get that really without doing a leg extension a leg curl Um, so long story short, I think, uh, you, if you're having fun, you're saving time and you're maintaining performance and that's all you want, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. The, the issue becomes supersetting compound lifts, your performance drops, injury risk goes up. Um, and then supersetting push with push and pull with pull. It's just, it's probably going to lower your performance. There's not that many options. Um, and you might want to, might want to switch up your split so you can do more supersets or stop doing supersets. If you like the split you're doing so that you can improve your
1: performance. Yeah. Love it. All right. We will move on to the next question. It comes from Brittany Irving or Irvin. Sorry. It says, I love the podcast, Cody and Travis. Thank you for always answering questions and not being rude when answering back to questions like fitness professionals can be if they are annoyed. That's crazy. Ouch. I read that and I was like,
0: what the fuck? <laughs> it, it blows my mind because I think that there's even times where we answer some questions and they're funny or they're, I mean, even on my Instagram, sometimes yeah. it, they're like, Duh moments and even, maybe even, it's not done to them. Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm, I was going to say. Like they're dumb moments to me. And even sometimes when they're like, no, that's definitely like to any, like this is common sense, you know, even then I still like, I will try to make a joke out of it so we can all laugh. Not like,
1: who idiot. are you? Who like, are you asking? Yeah, yeah. Like,
0: I don't know. It's yeah. I think there's, I forget that that even exists in the fitness industry. Cause I think like, to me, I always think the fitness industry should be such a positive place that's what it's supposed to be at least, that the negative side of things I always think of is like uh, people just selling bullshit. You know? yeah. They're trying to make money and stuff, but they're not necessarily dicks to people. They're just either don't really understand what's going on, so they're selling something they don't know the science behind, or they know that the person doesn't know the science behind it, so it's like they they're come just, off nice at yeah. least,
1: <laughs> but it's that snakes but it's bullshit. or whatever.
0: Um, so absolutely, we're always going to be nice.
1: So the question <laughs> is, uh, when doing a four-day split, Lower, back, lower, chest, shoulders, and triceps. How many sets for both back and biceps would be best for muscle growth? I would also say the same thing for chest, shoulders, and triceps. So
0: much like the last question, there's like a million caveats and depends. Um, I I think that's one of the reasons I like talking about training, program design so much is there's just so much nuance to it. You know what I mean? There's just so many different things that you can consider and variables you could change. Um, it just makes it such an interesting topic. But, so, number one, my my first piece of advice to you is to do an upper-lower split that isn't restricted to those muscle groups. So, you're doing lower, upper, lower, upper, but your upper days are split into uh, basically a a I think she said back buys, right? And then one day is chest, shoulders, triceps. Correct. So... That's not going to be as, in my opinion, like, I don't think that's the only reason you should do, you should split up the muscles like that is if you're training six days a week doing a push pull legs, which is a great one. Um, but the reason a push pull legs works well is because you're still hitting each muscle group twice a week. It just allows you to do more volume because you're doing six days a week, Mm. but on an upper lower split, you still want to do a frequency of two times a week per muscle group (laughs) because that's what studies show to be more beneficial now. And there's a few reasons for it, but that's, and that's what I'll kind of get into here. But, um, how much volume, What? how many sets per week, so basically volume, what I recommend for back and buys, and then also chest shoulders tries. Uh, it's a big range. I mean, technically, everything kind of boils down to that 10 to 20 range. Um, and I think that what I've, uh, I actually put this in a graph, a bell curve graph, uh, and I, so I do like those monthly workshops with the team, and then I actually used it in a presentation I did for Jake's gym, for his trainers. But the bell curve is like, it's basically the volume bell curve, and it's different I use it differently than what most people use it as. And it's basically this idea that like, if it's 10 to 20, which is what most volume or most volume research shows is going to be optimal somewhere in that range. Usually people think of it like just like a straight range. It's like, basically when you're a beginner, when you're a beginner, anything works. And then once you kind of reach the ending stages of newbie gains, you got to do about 10 sets per muscle group per week. As you get closer to that advanced stage, which would be at 20 sets per muscle group per week, it increases. So in the middle is probably 15, right? newbie or beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Pretty simple. The way I look at it is more of a bell curve. And I didn't always look at it this way, but after just training so many people and then also training myself. And I think the thing that helped me a lot is seeing more and more of the research come out. And then also being able to have the opportunity to train people who are extremely advanced, as well as watching my own periodization over the years. And what I've seen is that I have a lot of advanced people that I can get away with making great gains with way less than 20, which kind of surprised me at first, but basically, and I can too, but basically what I see it as is a bell curve. Like when you start, like, I don't want to say like brand new, like, let's say, I don't even, there's not a word from it. Like, I, I think there should be like a newbie and then a beginner, like are two different things. Cause newbies like first day. Yeah, exactly. Like you're in your first year of training. Like you're still learning the ropes, like anything will work beginner to me is like you know how to squat bench deadlift lunge row like you know the stuff you know how to read a program you're just still in your newer stage you're still making good gains so beginner might be 10 sets per muscle group per week I think intermediate is actually 20 sets per muscle group per week for maximizing growth and then advanced is closer to 10 again and so it's a bell curve and it Mm kind of comes back so we start at 10 kind of go up towards 20 and then we come back down to 10 and the reason for that is if we look at the skill of firing, activating, fatiguing, exhausting a muscle and being able to target a muscle, you get better at it as you get more advanced, right? The skill of doing a movement pattern improves as you get more advanced as well. So if a beginner needs 10 sets per muscle group per week, but they start progressing and they start being able to recover better, they start being able to lift heavier weights, they start being able to recover faster from a volume perspective as well, they can activate muscles a little bit better, they could probably handle that 20 sets muscle group per week, right? And that's like the maximum. But what I find is when they go from intermediate to advanced, their ability to go to failure improves. Like we all know the person who says they're at RIR one and they're not even fucking close. And I get it because I was there too. And sometimes I still don't know, right? It's, it's hard to actually go to failure. And sometimes it's hard to know how much you got in the tank and it's hard to fire a muscle to its absolute max potential and exhaust it. Let's say like, I want you to go to failure from a point where your muscle literally cannot cannot fire any harder. Like that's a skill to be able to flex so hard that just the one muscle, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a mind muscle connection. Yeah. Your ability to do that is is it takes years and years and years to get really, really good at that. So if we're doing 20 sets per muscle group per week, but every rep is at that intensity, you'll crush yourself. You'll yeah. burn out or you'll have joint issues. So the way I've looked at it is like you got to increase volume from beginner to intermediate because that's the only way you're going to grow. But as you go from intermediate to advanced, you start learning how to get more out of every rep, out of every set. You learn how to go to failure easier. You learn how to fire a muscle harder. You learn how to reach your maximum potential from a like a threshold. They call it like a, a muscle fiber threshold, where you're actually recruiting the maximum amount of motor units, getting your nervous system firing, doing the form properly, which is another skill, being able to to do the form of the movement correctly while also firing the muscles as hard as you can, having your heart race, your mind's going, like all these different signs of fatigue, and still be able to hold your composure from a form perspective? Yeah. Like, that's tough. It's like somebody's great at throwing a baseball, right? But then you put them in a a fucking field in front of 10,000 fans, I'm sure it gets a little bit more difficult to throw that same baseball the same way. Totally. It's a different ballgame. Yeah. But once you become really advanced, you go from little league, to middle school, to high school, to college. Like eventually you get to the, the major league and you're like, okay, now I can handle it because I went from 10 people watching me to 10,000, yeah. like it's a scale. So same thing here. And I think that I've seen in, in all the people you see saying like low volume is better for muscle growth. They're all people who have been training for over a decade, right? And all of them are saying low volume is better because then you don't stress the system as much. It's focusing on intensity and effort. And I agree. But if you know that beginners and intermediates cannot do that yet, then you shouldn't tell them to do low volume. I think it's got, you got to be able to assess the person and it's this bell curve, right? So the reason I went on that long tangent is one, because I haven't actually talked about that bell curve on the podcast or anything outside of the workshop I did, which is a private seminar, but I don't know where you're at in that bell curve asking this question, right? So you could be a beginner and I'd say 10, you could be intermediate. I might say max 20 you might be advanced and i say back down towards 10 and then you might be advanced for example um there's a lot of people like if you're a trainer you would you would like resonate with this um like they call it sleepy butt syndrome that's one um they call it sleepy lats is another one for some reason, those are two, and it's probably like a postural thing. You sit all the time, so your flexors are always fl- like firing, and then you're hunched over, so your flexors up here are always firing. Um, stress uh, neurologically actually tightens those flexors as well, but that makes it hard to fire your lats. It makes it hard to fire your glutes. So you'd see clients in person at the gym, and it's like, why can't you get your glutes to fire? Why can't you get your lats to fire? They have the sleep syndrome. So let's say you can get everything to fire, but you still have trouble firing your lats. Well, I might say, hey, keep hitting your lats with 20 sets, but we're going to do everything else at 10 because yeah. you're an advanced lifter on these, in this way here, but because of your shitty posture from working a desk job for so long, I can't get your lats going, you know? So it, it's very individual. It's always going to be somewhere in between 10 to 20 um, for all muscle groups, and then you have to consider secondary muscle groups. So if you, for example, maybe you are getting your lats and your traps for 20 sets But do you really need to do 20 sets on your biceps? It's a more fragile joint, your elbow. So you got to be careful there about doing too many curls. And then also, every time you do a pull down a row, you're also kind of hitting your biceps. So do you really need 20 or do you only need 10 because you're going to get five extra sets accumulated just from doing so many rows for your back, you know? Whereas if you do a pull down, or I'm sorry, if you do a bicep curl, your lats aren't doing much, you know, at all. So you got to consider that. Um, No matter what, you're in that bell curve, you're somewhere in this 10 to 20 range. So I think you got to kind of assess the muscle for you, um if it's a primary or secondary muscle, your your experience overall, um and then you'll cr- kind of be able to figure out where you sit in there. And then I would say spread that out because here's the other thing. If I tell you 10 20 or uh 15 sets or whatever, if wherever you're at in that bell curve and you're doing that on one day, it's not going to be that advantageous because two reasons. Number one, if I do 20 sets, I promise you by the 12th set of lats, I'm just not training very hard anymore. My lats are smoked. I'm probably going to cramp up soon. My injury risk is going to be higher for straining a muscle. Um, and I'm just fatigued. Like the muscle can only do so much. Number two, they see a drop off in muscle protein synthesis and your ability to actually send growth factors and anabolic signals to that muscle to build after about 10 sets. I want to say they say the recommendation is between eight and 11, because you got to factor in, like, are they doing warm up sets? Is it just work sets? But there's research to show once you go beyond that point in a single session, you're not really making any gains. So if that's the case and it's like, hey, you got to stay between eight and 12, let's just say for even numbers, you're doing 10 sets per session max. Well, if you need 20 sets to grow, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're only hitting once a week. So this is why an upper lower split shouldn't be separated by muscle groups. It should be done like upper, lower, upper, lower. And you should be hitting chest, shoulders, tries, buys back in that upper body session, you know? Um, and then the last thing too, is like, they just did a study on uh, moderate versus high volumes and there was no difference in muscle groups. Um, so there's a lot of people probably screaming like, see, I told you you don't need high volumes." It's all relative because they they still had to equate uh, total workload volume. Otherwise, it wouldn't make sense. So what they were really trying to, to figure out was if we progress them by load or reps, is it better? So if you progress somebody by reps, technically that's progressing them by volume, right, from a programming perspective. If you progress them uh, by load, you're progressing them by load. So they were combining these like progressive overload where we just slowly, like you know, we're staying at eight reps, three sets of eight, but we're just going to slowly add weight to the bar or is it better to say start at eight then go nine then go ten or maybe add a set just do more reps as the weeks go on and they didn't really see any difference but if you when they equate stuff like this for study this is for the purpose if your total amount lifted so your the weight that's lifted times the sets done times the reps performed equals the same as the other group it's going to be pretty even so you got to consider that too because i don't want to tell you 20 sets if you're doing lower rep heavy work because your nervous system is going to fry your joints are going to hurt like you got to be careful with that too um so there's just so many different factors in there uh but that's again that's why like 10 to 20 is always this wide range it's a big range for all these reasons and i think depending on all those factors you kind of fit somewhere in between there um i mean for me right now i think i'm at like i'm closer to 10 in between 10 and 15 at most 15 i think um let's see bench for four sets and then i did uh four rounds so that's eight So i'm at 12 sets per week for most muscle groups i think a little bit less i think it's like eight for legs right now Mm. um because i'm doing more like conditioning stuff which is a lot of leg but that just goes to show you like i've been training a while but like 12 sets for my chest and shoulders and lats and traps and then like i think it's even less it's only eight sets for biceps and triceps it's not that much yeah you know people would think get more advanced you gotta do more and more more. but i'm lifting way heavier i'm taking pauses i'm doing intensification techniques i know how to fire muscle better i don't need as much so um
1: damn yeah totally yeah that conditioning is a lot of legs i was was a thousand pounds you guys doing on the sled yesterday
0: literally yeah (laughs) i mean we filled up the whole pole yeah you know like i thought it was
1: a thousand but maybe i'm just graduating
0: i don't know um I will say Lee added a plate. He was doing it last, yeah. so that wasn't mine. Mine yeah. was one less. But still, that would only be 45 pounds. I don't think it was quite that. I think I calculated it, and it was like... Because uh, four that's 45s, yeah. uh, that's 225 without a bar normally because you have two plates yeah. on each side. And then another one would be 315. Yeah, so this was like 500, 500 pounds, pounds maybe. Yeah. But
1: <coughs> that shit don't move fast. That was outrageous. Yeah. And right. it's,
0: all, it's all concentric, so you'd like... Every step, there's no, like, rest. So yeah. just your the blood flow just fills your legs. But it's fun.
1: All right, cool. We have uh, another one uh, here coming from Lee. It says, just getting my husband into calorie tracking, finally. We have a wedding coming up, and he wants to know what is the best alcohol choice for weight loss. He normally drinks brandy and Coke. Is it better to enjoy the brandy and low-calorie soda or rather switch to whiskey? He wants to enjoy a few drinks, but it is keen to keep k- calorie controlled. Or do you just enjoy the wedding without restriction? There you go. Uh, I just don't want him to, quote unquote, give up. He has tried to, to, calorie, to control calorie intake previously, but always goes off track on weekends or after a few stressful days.
0: I got two questions for you first. What? Number one, is keen, so like? I, I always thought keen was like an Australian thing. That accurate? I feel like I've heard more Americans say keen, like I'm keen to do that. Yeah. I always thought it was an Australian thing.
1: I don't know. Maybe I just like heard, opened it open for to try. I'm down. Yeah.
0: I think, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I always heard uh shout out to Matt Prince, my Australian buddy that owns a gym out there. He, oh, he I mean he says it all the time and yeah. I just always thought it was a it's got to be an Australian thing. Maybe. Maybe not. Um, do you know the difference between whiskey and brandy?
1: Yeah, they're both gross.
0: Oh, you're tripping. <laughs>
1: Anyway. Do you? Th- that's not a difference though. So. No. Do I? Um pro- my best uneducated guess is just the the area they're distilled in.
0: Completely different alcohols. Really? Yeah, did not know that. Huh. I was thinking more like
1: like a malt like or not a That's malt. like a uh, bourbon
0: and whiskey. There we go. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too. I thought yeah. brandy was just like a, another bourbon or something. Oh yeah. Um it's fermented wine. Wow. So, technically, it's not even. So, whiskey's a spirit. Yep. And brandy's considered something else. So, spirits would be anything that's distilled. Yeah. If it's fermented, it's not a, a Vodka spirit. Vodka is
1: it a spirit.
0: Yes, because it's distilled. Okay. Whiskey's a spirit. Uh, rum is a spirit. Ah. Brandy is not because it's fermented. Oh. So, it's considered a type of like wine. Okay. Or, or maybe liqueurs are that way too. I don't know. But I was like, oh, shit. Wow. That's crazy. Maybe try it. Um, yeah, I'm a whiskey guy, but... Uh, Have you tried a good brandy? No, I haven't. It sounds really good. Once I looked it up, because yeah. I, I saw this question, I was like, I better look this up, because I don't even know. And then uh, I was like, oh, shit, that sounds good. Yeah. I think it's just a sweeter kind yeah. of, because it is, they end up putting it in barrels, I believe, or or they age it somehow. That So it's. I think it's kind of similar. I see people drink it like it's a bourbon, you know what I mean? Like brandy on on the rocks kind of thing, yeah. but I think it's sweeter.
1: I don't know if I know anybody that drinks brandy on the rocks, or period. Period. Yeah.
0: Uh, n- no disrespect, but I think it's like more of an old, old guy's drink, old lady's drink Totally, from what I know I, know. I think like, it's like the Merlot of yeah. alcohol because Merlot is obviously wine, but, yeah. um, I'm a spice rum guy. You would be. Yeah. I <laughs> would be. What do you mean? I it's said the uh, mold. <laughs> that's uh you're not a, you're not a hard liquor guy though. No. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, but neither am I, but like, uh, spice rum is, is I feel like
1: delicious. It's not bad. Yeah. Not I, at all. But
0: like whiskey is kind of like the graduate. You know what I mean? Like it's, like, it's more of an old, it's an older guy's drink. Like it's. Sure. I didn't. Yeah. I only just started liking it. I'm not but it's sure. funny because like I sat down to. You're freaking
1: 29 or 30 or. 30,
0: yeah. But I've never been into. Uh, I've never liked. I never really gave it a good shot or explored the different types of whiskey. Yeah. But I sat down with my dad for dinner just like a month ago. I got old fashioned and he was just like, i never had one. Let me try it. I was like, you've never had an old fashioned. He took a sip and was like, what
1: the fuck? Yeah.
0: I was like, you don't like it.
1: I want this. Might be stupid. He so rum. Disregard <laughs> what I say, but it must. I wonder if there's any kind of like, uh, like I don't want to say genetics or whatever, mm-hmm. but like my dad drinks spice rum. Yeah,
0: yeah. Which what's weird is my dad drinks rum too.
1: Oh, so obviously not hereditary is one mm-hmm. or whatever. Or yeah, whatever.
0: yeah. Um, Vinny, my brother, drinks uh Irish whiskey, Surge or something, Surge, yeah. <laughs> No, he drinks beer or he drinks Jameson, which I is can Irish see whiskey. I like skateboarding
1: with his son, just drinking surge. Yeah,
0: oh, absolutely, <laughs> easily see that. Yeah, um, Irish whiskey is cheap. Oh, yeah, it's James just is, not, I like Jameson. Um, we we tried I to why, get our babysitter; she liked Irish whiskey apparently, and we we're like, oh, let's get her like a really nice bottle for babysitter because she won't accept money. Yeah. Just, she's a full grown woman who's just helping us out, kind of thing. And, uh, cause we usually have her daughter do it and we'll give her money. And then she did it for us and we're like, what do we give her? Yeah. And so, uh, Lee's wife, um, not this Lee, uh, differently. <laughs> and, uh, this is a woman. Yeah. We, uh, we were like, oh, let's go get some like nice. And I look on the shelves. I'm like, they're, they they do not make an Irish whiskey over $20 for a bottle. Like, it's just not, I mean, it makes sense. Irish drinkers and yeah. we're Irish. So it's like, just, they're not, uh, not classy. Not the word, uh, eloquent. You know, like brutes. But yeah. Yeah, so anyway. got to go um, to Dublin sometime, man. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. I want to so bad. I want to go there in Scotland. It would be it's so Yeah. pretty sick. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, our family history is very confusing. We can't figure out if we're Scottish or Irish. There's like this like weird disappearance. Of yeah. The I'm the same
1: way. McQueen, I believe, is Scottish. But some reason, my dad went uh, overseas for a conference years ago, and he brought back a, a sweatshirt from McQueen's pub in Ireland. mm
0: my grandma told us that we were originally Mac Broomays. So there was an E with a tilde at the end and an A, but we were pirates. We got kicked out of Scotland and then we changed our name, became Irish, quote unquote. She did some like family history thing just a couple of years ago yeah. and found this out. And my grandpa and dad were pissed and were like, that's bullshit. <laughs> we're Irish. I'm like, yeah. okay. Prideful. Um, All right,
1: let's talk control calories. Yeah.
0: Anyway. So technically, so first and foremost, and I don't mean this in an enemy way. Google it, and you will see because that's literally what I did. Brandy is about twenty to twenty-five calories more per uh, one-point-five ounce shot or whatever, because that's usually like the way you measure like a drink they pour a shot in there, whatever. Um, so it's a little bit more calories. So if you're like, how do we, how does he afford to have one extra drink at the end of the night? Switch to whiskey. You'll have you'll save a little bit of calories. I'm assuming because it's a fermented wine, it means that there's a little more sugar in it most likely the case. Um, now I am of the opinion that if somebody doesn't have a timeline based goal, meaning they are not preparing, like he's not losing weight for this wedding. He's going to a wedding to enjoy some drinks. It sounds like, um, but if somebody comes to us and they're like, I need, I want to lose 20 pounds before my wedding. We have a deadline, right? And we're active going for it. I'm like, yeah, let's track alcohol. Let's fit it in so on and so forth. Um, I also recommend doing that if somebody drinks multiple days a week. So, like, for example, like, Shannon likes to have a glass of wine a few nights a week. And sometimes she doesn't even finish a glass of wine. I drink once a week, twice if there's a celebration because I don't drink a half a glass of wine. I drink the whole bottle. So I stay away from it unless I plan on drinking the whole fucking bottle. But because of that, she can fit in a half a glass or a glass very easily into her calories and it and it works out. She does that two, three times a week. It's not a big deal. When you drink a lot of alcohol in a single setting, it does for lack of better terms, not to go into a whole like alcohol, fat loss, science rant. It kind of just puts pause on everything. If you're actively trying to oxidize fat and go through lipolysis, which is the process of actually burning fat, um, as well as building muscle tissue, muscle protein synthesis, testosterone production for guys, all those things kind of go, hey, let's push pause here. Let's get rid of this alcohol because it's like a toxin in the liver and in the system. So literally your body will stop metabolizing and working on burning fat and building muscle and it'll start metabolizing the alcohol to get it out of your system. So it can go back to those hormonal processes that we want for fat loss and muscle growth. Because of that, If somebody's drinking a lot of alcohol, I'm like, hey, like me, like not to sound like an alcoholic, but if I drink, I typically drink a lot in one setting. So I restrict it to once a week. Um, But if somebody likes to have a half glass or a glass a couple times a week, it's not the end of the world. Fit in your calories. It's easy to do. If you prefer brandy, have brandy. It's 20 extra calories. Um, If you're trying to uh, max out how much you can drink, whiskey's less calories, vodka's even less. Like there's your, there's your calorie scale to go off of. Um, the other thing I would say is if somebody doesn't have, and this is kind of where I was going to at first, if somebody doesn't have a timeline based goal, I don't think you should track it. I think you should be like, you know, even, even for myself, like when I go out to, to dinner, I typically will get a, a old fashioned, right? Um, I used to really like, uh, Jameson mules or Moscow mules as well, which is Moscow or Jameson mules, just Moscow mule with whiskey in it. So you can get a it's Kentucky mule. But those usually have like ginger beer, extra lime sugar. So there is way there is more sugar in that than an old-fashioned. So I'm like, I like them both equally. I'm going to choose the healthier route just because I feel like it. I still don't track it, but I'm like, I'm going to do that. Yep. Also, if I was really cautious, I wouldn't get an old-fashioned because there's a sugar cube in it. They literally put a sugar cube in it. That's why it doesn't taste so fucking harsh. It's sweet. So I'm still having sugar. So if I was really cautious, I would literally have like whiskey in fucking Diet Coke or, or rum and Diet Coke, mm-hmm. something like that because you can do like what you asked in the question, have a diet soda. You're going to remove all those calories from sugar and all that shit and just have calories from the alcohol. So you can go that route too. Um, it, it all comes down to how much you are drinking, it depends on the timeline to go all that stuff. But I just, I'm of the opinion if, if I have clients that they don't have a timeline, we're just actively trying to pursue their fat loss goal. We're going to say, Hey, we we need to reach this goal between 12 to 16 weeks. And we're just monitoring biofeedback. Then don't track that day. Like you should have a day where you just go out to dinner. You have fun. You don't try to micromanage what's being cooked or on the plate because who fucking knows what they use to cook that at the restaurant who like, you don't want to be the person trying to figure out the ingredients at a wedding. Like have a few drinks, have some fun, like keep your food light earlier in the day. So you just intuitively save calories for night and then get back to it. And then for him, he just needs to be educated on the fact that one day off the diet doesn't destroy the diet. If you're on point six days and then you're off one day, I mean, just do the math one sixth of the week one-seventh of the week, I mean, you're off, I mean, you're killing it. You're 95% on point. Be happy with that. Most people forget that part, and then they just go, ah, fuck it, and then Sunday turns into that, and then Monday they're like, screw it, I'm not going to die anymore. And it's just this, like, snowball effect of falling off. So if there's proper education... I think that's the biggest thing, you know, and and at the end of the day, um, I posted this on my story. There was a study recently. um, If you guys want to dive into like the weeds of it, Lane Norton did a video on it. It was really good. Um, And it compared, uh, it it was looking at cravings, binging, overeating, all those. And, uh, and actually some of the stuff I didn't get into that he breaks down that is interesting is they even did questionnaires to see if people have like disordered eating symptoms and um, like thoughts, like negative thoughts about food and body and stuff like that um, associated with low carb and intermittent fasting dieting. And they saw a significant correlation, right? And so the thing that I talked about in there was less about the fact that, you know, if they were dieting in general, I don't think that it would have been as serious because if you're just c- controlling calories, it's one thing. But if you're not educated on the fact that you can technically fit whatever the fuck you want into your calories and still lose weight, Then it becomes this restriction game of I can't eat carbs because carbs make me fat. And now, what do you want? You want fucking carbs. When they did the questionnaire, these people were asked what they were craving or asked what they ended up binging on and stuff. It was always random things like bread and pasta. Like, that's very random to like binge on pasta. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know what I mean? So like unless it's like Oreos and it's because you see them all the time and you've just been on a restricted diet because you're just dieting and then you're like, fuck, and you gave in to Oreos. That's a high fat, high carb food. It's not one or the other. It's just a highly processed, highly palatable food. But if you're constantly saying, I can't have alcohol, I can't have carbs, I can't have sugar, I can't have these things, that is all you're going to want. So you have to be educated and your husband has to be educated on flexible dieting, calorie control, um, how you can still do those things while losing weight and how one day off isn't going to ruin the progress. And when they do that, they don't fall off. They have an off day and they jump right back on. But that off day is in their plan. Yeah. They never cheated, you know? So a lot of it is just proper guidance, but, um, yeah, I mean, that, how do you get proper a, guidance? Sign up for coaching, There you, go. you know, or if you want the freeway, read the ebook. So yeah. obviously we, we do this for a living. So we want you guys to coach with us. Cause that's why, um, that's why we do what we do. Uh, but we do have a lot of free content as well. So if you're not ready to jump into coaching and have one-on-one accountability, download the, the ebook, uh, The Tailored Nutrition Method. It's a 87 pages, I think, and it dives through what I'm talking about now. Uh, it does touch on alcohol, macros, micros, meal timing, calories, um, uh, performance, nutrition, all that kind of shit, supplements. So it, it's a very, very in-depth book, and it's completely free. Uh, you can find that in the description of this podcast as well, or you can head to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides, uh, and, uh, real quick, the sponsors of this podcast to close us out, because we're wrapping up, uh, you can head over to first form.com slash tailored coaching method to get the best supplements in the game. Uh, much of which, uh, I mean, we supply our whole team, all of our members, my family, everybody at the, uh, at TCM, we all take first form, uh, and they have the highest quality without a doubt. And if you want any of your fitness equipment taken care of for your Cross the gym, your home gym, whatever you do. Uh, you need some dumbbells, bands, any of that kind of stuff, giantlifting.com. And uh, you can use the coupon code TCM10 to save 10% off. All right, guys, as always, we appreciate you listening. We'll catch you next time.